0: to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott.
1: I'm Jake Michaels.
0: And this is a podcast about people who love tabletop games, interviewing other people who love tabletop games about the tabletop games they love. Our guest today is, drumroll, <laughs> Scott boom, <Geta! laughs> The mastermind behind Renegade <laughs> Game Studios, a 20-year veteran of the gaming industry, uh, hails from San Diego, California... I didn't actually write a bio for you down. <laughs> That's okay. You're just Scott Gata. Everybody <laughs> oh, okay. should know who you are. Really? Well, uh, yeah. I you
2: mean, called me a mastermind, so I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's how I think of you. Did you ever All play right.
2: the game Mastermind?
0: It's a great game.
1: Is it?
2: Yeah. I don't. I don't need to play it's it. It's old. Apparently, school. I am a mastermind. There's like it's an
1: true. Uh, <laughs> the picture of Mastermind that I have from my childhood. I think has Orson Welles sitting. <laughs> In a chair, just looking at the camera, and what? that's the title. That's the that's the cover of that game. Wow! Oh my god! Like M-
0: mine was very plasticky with little colorful pegs.
1: <laughs> yes, that's the game. But like there, there was a weird unattached picture of some. Regal looking man. It was either Orson Welles or someone who looks a lot like, like him. Like what L- era? was it? Scott Gator, who time traveled to the past, like nineteen seventy one. Orson or Welles, beard and fat, but yeah. like still, he still had a good uh, yeah, jawline Still, yeah. or jowl line. I should <laughs> say <laughs> jaw <Jowl, jowl> line.
0: <laughs> uh, Scott. Yes. For people who don't know, well, what is Renegade Game Studios, and when did you create it?
2: So, Renegade Game Studios is a tabletop game publisher. What? Yeah. And it's celebrating its five-year anniversary this month.
0: Yay! Uh Uh-huh. Congratulations. Thanks. So, you, uh, tell tell me all about how you first got into being on the other side of the world of tabletop. Because, obviously, you've been a lifelong gamer.
2: Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, lifelong gamer. Started as a kid in middle school playing D&D. Right during lunch was very popular thing to do
0: during lunch
2: during lunch during lunch hour in a middle school a bunch of kids sitting at a table playing D and D with their lunch I can't tell you how popular we were that was (laughs) incredible like we were the envy of the school really oh yeah for sure
0: that's amazing yeah
2: yeah it was prom king prom queen dungeon master yeah in in the the making for sure Mm -hmm. yep I
0: Mm -hmm. assume that you're not being sarcastic
2: uh no It, it
0: is. It is sarcastic. <laughs> it
2: is sarcastic. Yeah. Oh,
0: see, no, that I mean, sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> no, I, I,
2: I would say for the most part, I don't have any any memories of like us being picked on or anything else. Maybe we were just oblivious to it, and or just didn't
1: care. But I
2: think we were just People normal kids just didn't doing kids yeah. stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Man, so that was. I was
1: terrified to do it in public. I was. We always hid under the code name. Like, do you guys want to go play football? And none of us played football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. We definitely did not play
2: football. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think we were at an age, right, where you. You don't know whether or not, like, it's a really big deal. You're just in that, you know, we're just doing kids stuff and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, that's by, great. Right. By the high age school of age. Yeah, mm, then you're super self-conscious yeah, about yeah, that's a different story. For sure. Really? Yeah. Okay, okay. But uh, so then later on, you know, fast forward, uh, I owned a store, a game store. What and was it called? It was called Collector Mania in Parker, Colorado. Ooh. It is still there to this day. Where is Parker? Parker, Colorado is a Denver suburb about uh, 45 minutes outside of Denver, like southeast of Denver. Okay. Yeah, Collector cool. mania. Collector mania, yeah, because I started off like with comic books and movie posters and things like that. I had a movie poster business that sold posters and, and all that sort of stuff.
0: You've done everything. All
2: sorts of crazy stuff.
0: Okay, so then it became more of a game store card, trading card specifically.
2: Yeah, so, you know, right, Magic had taken off a few I'm, years I'm before familiar. that. I'm familiar. Yeah, it's a little game. It's it, it's still going. It's hang, <laughs> hanging on by a thread, I hear. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Just yeah. a
0: thread. I never talk about it on this podcast. No, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I started with the uh, Star Wars collectible card. Game came out and that was huge. And I got on the radar of a company called Decipher that published that game. And I started doing contract work for them for a few years, doing marketing programs and in store uh, play programs and that sort of stuff. What year was this? Oh, uh, when I first like 98,
1: okay, probably so, with them. Was that still like. The Star Wars CCG, I feel like, only lasted for a kind of a short time, didn't it? Yeah, Scott's got stories it, about that. Yeah, it went away right
2: after Episode One came
1: out. Right. So right. They're,
2: they're like, this was a big deal in the industry too. That game was, it was riding high. It was like a a, a close second to popu- Magic. It was
1: popular for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, it
2: was. It was huge. I remember it.
0: Until dot dot dot, um, they well, tried to take back the rights. Right. No,
2: yeah. So what happened was is that uh, Decipher put out all the product through episode one, but their contract was up. And when they went to renew it, they didn't get a renewal because at that time, Hasbro had acquired Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and Hasbro was the master toy license for Star Wars and said, we want everything. We, we want everything. Give
0: us thing.
2: Yeah, it was it was a huge deal. Um, they it, never developed a CCG with it, did they? They did. So it was a Richard Garfield <laughs> CCG that came out. It was? Out. Yeah. It I didn't was know that. Totally, the originator of magic. Yeah, the originator of magic, but very unmagic like. So you rolled dice for combat. So it, it didn't go over very well with the hardcore Star Wars CCG, which where it was a traditional, very strategic hardcore you know, collectible card game. And now you were rolling dice for combat. So,
1: and also Star Wars was pretty different at the time in that, like you had to play one side, you had to play the light side or the dark side. Right. Yeah. That's magic. You could just choose a different like color combination. Yeah. And then I was forget, but like the expansions were based on the movies, right? Like different chapters of the movies. Yeah, so the game started off like with Premiere, and then it basically just
2: went in chronological order. So it took us years to get to, right, like Death Star 2 was the big set where it had the Emperor and and Luke as a Jedi Knight. Yeah, So that was a big deal. Um, But yeah, it was a fantastic game. I would say that game was probably most important to me becoming a professional because that was the thing that got me on Decipher's radar and eventually led to a, a job and me relocating and selling my store and all that.
0: Wow, yeah. was that do you look back and you're like best decision I ever made or was it a big, scary thing at the time?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? Like I think I would have still gone into marketing and product development and and that sort of career path, but I probably would be doing this as a hobby potentially mm-hmm. and and making horrible things <laughs> right like, <laughs> like horrible.
1: Well, you like, would wa- you would have walked in an independent
2: door maybe. Yeah, or I would have wound up in like the general consumer products. <laughs> world, and I'd be making paper towels or something and that so, all right. right. So, well, let's oh. talk about your paper towel
1: collection because that's actually yeah. why I brought you yeah, on. Yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's really wow. cool. You can make them out of bamboo now. That's here, amazing. So that's cool.
1: Really? Huh. Uh, okay. Why?
0: Well, then, <laughs> then you went to Cryptozoic Entertainment, or you co-founded it. Yes, uh,
2: I did. But be, in between that, after Decipher, I was at Upper Deck. Actually.
0: Oh yeah. So uh, we know them. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep, yep, yep. Yep. So I was there. I uh, moved to San Diego. Finally, I had always wanted to. Moved to San Diego and relocate uh, the first time I was in San Diego was in 1992 at San Diego Comic Con
0: and you were uh, like I'm gonna live here someday yeah <laughs> pretty much I was like this
2: is awesome uh, it might have had something to do with Comic Con too right there's that whole <laughs> yeah. thing like when you go somewhere on vacation you're like I want to be on vacation my whole life yeah um, yeah, yeah but...
0: come here every year mm-hmm. this is the Mecca
2: yeah no it was it was cool and I went back a, a bunch of different times yeah, and then eventually Upper Deck and did things like, you know, Marvel and DC and World of Warcraft. And then yeah, that led to me leaving Upper Deck and founding Cryptozoic Entertainment with three other partners. We started with World of Warcraft TCG. We took that over after Upper Deck lost it. And then did that for a while, but but most of my career up until that point had been really focused on on doing games based on licenses. Right? So all these big movie, TV, and comic book franchises, and I hadn't really had a, an opportunity to do original development and do things where we could create our own worlds and not have to play in somebody else's sandbox, and that was a big part of why I wanted to go and start Renegade, because um, I just really wanted to do something different. Like I'd kind of been there, done that, I'd spent almost my first 15 years doing all this licensed uh, stuff. And I've learned a lot from it, especially at Decipher, um, a lot about top-down game design, right? A lot of licensed games sometimes have this stigma to them where people think that they're just gonna kind of be a license slapped on something. Sure. right. And that was never Decipher's design philosophy. It was always top-down design. We need to start with, with a game experience that's gonna be true to that world. Because if a Star Wars game doesn't feel like a Star Wars experience, you know that's not going to make the core fan base happy. So it has to be a good Star Wars game first and foremost, and then a good game,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: If if a gamer plays it that's not a Star Wars fan and doesn't like it, that's kind of okay <laughs> because the Star Wars fan has to like it first. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. I sure. Love that. Yeah, but yeah, you want to hit both, right? Like the the best thing is to to make everybody happy and hit both. But if you can only hit one, you've got to be true to the to the fan base that. That's Absolutely, concept, those are the
0: diehards. Yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna want to collect it just to collect it,
2: right? Like, you know, and why would I? You make why, something
0: Dresden Files, I'm gonna get it, right?
2: Why would I play a Power Rangers game if it doesn't feel like Power Rangers? Um, Which so yeah. you've recently
0: picked up. Are, are we, you was Power Rangers a part of uh, your your personal fandom? It,
2: it it wasn't. I was not of the Power Rangers generation. I was. Yeah. I was definitely aware of it from you know it was a phenomenon in the in the 90s and and continued for, you know, now it's 26 years old this year.
0: I was gonna yeah. say, Jake over here grew up loving Power Rangers. I did? Yeah.
1: Oh, good, yeah. I okay, Xander. also Xander, sli- <laughs> Xander <General. laughs> I did like them. I only, like, watched, like, the first, like, season of it. I didn't know any of the... You were
0: able to quote specific anecdotes from specific episodes. Was so I? Excuse uh, yeah. me I for it, assuming. I watched it for,
1: like, six months or so. I was, like, more of a Ninja Turtles and, like, Ghostbusters mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, for sure. Like uh, Power Rangers is a really fun game and actually did have a lot of nostalgia for me for sure. Not to the Xander level for. Okay. Any point, but that's <laughs> fair. Uh yeah, like I feel like that was a good e- that was a good example of a de- design philosophy that was kind of emulated like going and fighting the Putties well, and the bosses. Well, we should mention. Mm-hmm. We're
0: talking about Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid designed by Jonathan Ying and that's published right. by Renegade wow. Game Studios. Nice. You didn't
1: even read that. <laughs> I, I didn't that. read
0: it. it. I'm getting better, Jake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> at pushing
1: no, Renegade's I products.
0: Uh, specifically at that yeah nice
2: we're we're indoctrinating you you know
0: because the things you make and you choose to make are are so dang good and so I want you could you talk to us about what the philosophy of renegade was and what kind of games you choose to develop and how you choose them
2: so uh so again like when we started the company we wanted to do original stuff but we also started with what a lot of people would call gateway games, right? So light, family friendly, um, not not mass markety, but accessible to to the core hobby market. But also that a new gamer coming in, it would be a good first experience for them. So something you can just pick up, quickly set up, and play. You know, and have a thirty minute experience and and have fun, and then move on to something else, or just play it again. So we started off with that. And then we slowly moved into like a, you know more traditional heavier Euro type games, and we did some that were we brought in from European partners, and some that we developed ourselves internally. Um, and then we also branched out into things like role playing games with Overlight. And there's a funny story. So be- behind that, I've I've told this before, but it, it never gets well, old for me. Well, not to
0: us, and not on
2: this <laughs> podcast. Right. So Sarah Erickson came to work for me about 18 months in. And Sarah and I had worked together previously. And I said to her, I love RPGs. Like they're probably my favorite thing to play, but they're not a great business. So your job, Sarah, is to keep me from never, we should never publish an RPG (laughs) at Renegade because it's not a good use of my time and we should not focus on that. And blah, 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 blah. Right. And I gave her this whole thing. I'm like, Your job is to keep me in check.
0: <laughs> I'm and hiring you specifically to keep me away from RPGs. Yeah. Not
2: not specifically, but it's like, I'm, you know, I hate yes men. Like, you you need to, if you see me doing something that I'm telling you it's a bad I need thing No, you need to no do. women. That's right. No, no women.
0: You got yes men, you got no women. Oh,
2: right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There. Women well, that say no. That's right. I've mm-hmm. got a lot of those.
0: I think you're one of. Two men I've seen on your... Uh... Uh,
2: there's three of us now. Three, okay. three men out of 12.
0: So, <laughs> wow. That's yeah, great. in the company.
2: Yeah. No, it's pretty, it's pretty cool.
0: Estrogen heavy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 but um, so then we were sitting about six months later. I was in Fort Wayne for a distributor event, and I was sitting down with some guys that are pretty heavy into RPGs, and one of them just... They weren't even pitching me. We were just talking about ideas and different things, and... He brought up this really cool, fantastic high fantasy world that wasn't Tolkien based. It was inspired by like progressive rock of the 70s and and all this this crazy stuff and told me the whole story. And I was like, that's awesome. Like if I ever was going to do an RPG, I want to do something really, really different. So let's do that and let's make it. And it was what turned out to be Overlight. And Sarah then was- Then si- the
0: floodgates open. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Sarah
2: was sitting right next to me and I turned to her and I was like, man, it's only been six months and you already failed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but yeah, our overall philosophy has been, we didn't want to be, early on people would say, uh, what, what kind of games does Renegade make? And I would just say fun, fun <laughs> games, right? Like we didn't want to be the company that only made gateway games or only did heavy Euros yeah. or only did RPGs. Um, we wanted to kind of have something for everybody. And part of the philosophy is if you if you join us with one of our games that is a gateway game, then the next step that you take, we want to have something for you. Or if you discover role-playing games, we want to have something for you as well. So we we kind of want you to be able to dabble within the whole family of renegade games and not have to look elsewhere, right? Like yeah. Like we want to yeah. kind of keep you in the family. Ooh. I, yeah.
0: Similar to Netflix's philosophy, (laughs) never, ever leave. (laughs) That's right. That is, yeah. I was like, okay, Scott, there is a, a, a flavor of Renegade. Like, when I think of Renegade, there is a certain image that comes to mind, but I can't nail down exactly what it is. And it's exactly that, that I don't think of just one type of game or feeling of the game experience. I think of every type of gradient of difficulty and crunchiness of game that there is is something that you have i would say probably the crunchiest euro game is architects of the west kingdom and Uh, that whole yeah uh, line
2: yeah his next one so architects is crunchy the next one coming out paladins that comes out this fall is probably the heaviest game that shem and sam have done to date it's it's really good
0: i've already asked you guys to send me a copy yeah that's right so that's
1: that's part of like a trilogy of games or a world of games because there's Crusaders as well or so, Voyagers or something? No.
2: So uh, the first trilogy was the North Sea trilogy,
1: North right? Sea. Okay. Where it
2: was... Um, uh, raiders? Explorers, Raiders, and Shipwrights.
1: Shipwright, Okay, Shipwrights. Yeah.
2: So there was those three and that's the North Sea, right? Vikings, <laughs> which are exploration. Yeah, like what's the...
1: Why would you define those games? Are those so, worker placement so as well? So each one
2: has... Uh, so Raiders is, is definitely worker placement. Um uh, explorers is tile laying okay. and kind of you know you're building out your map and shipwrights has worker placement and a little bit of like a uh, mix of both yeah a little bit mix of both a little bit of engine building um, and then the west kingdom trilogy is mm-hmm. the next trilogy mm-hmm. and he's got more plans so this one moves to like a different part of the world but kind of different era yeah but it's it's not it's
1: a little more renaissancey yeah
2: it's it's um it's not 100 percent historically accurate right well, yeah. like it's it's a <laughs> it's it's inspired by these periods in history but these aren't history lesson type games sure yet. um but yeah paladins is the next one and then there will be another game in a year that i he hasn't announced the title yet, so I don't want to spoil it for okay. him. Uh, but that'll, be, that'll cap out the trilogy, and then you'll have the West Kingdom's trilogy.
1: And by trilogy, they're in, set in the same world, given the same aesthetic design, but are connected in, not in like game-to-game in any so, way. So
2: they are totally standalone. For the North Sea trilogy, Shem designed a small box—
1: that allowed you to play through all of them is a campaign. There, that's what I was interested yep. in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, nor- the saga. Those are the
0: words that I needed <laughs> <you> to say. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> yeah, because I haven't played any <laughs> of the
1: Norsey stuff, and I'm looking at it now, I'm like, okay, if that happens, I'm interested to yep. try it.
0: So what is included in the box?
1: So
2: the box has, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the currency that's in there. So you're basically trying to become like the, what's the name of like the big Viking leaders, like the Jarls, right? The Jarl, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're be trying, you're playing through the The
0: Valhalliest?
2: Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, okay. that's the technical term. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to go there because I thought it was a little too highbrow for your. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's old school, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to really get it. Um, yeah, but you're playing through the trilogy, and and there's elements that move from uh game to game, and that have a consistent thread through it. And at the end,
1: you can be, you know, yeah, whoever acquired the most from their most success through the three games. Exactly, that's cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah,
0: I love that. So, your first big hit mm-hmm. was it lanterns.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would say so it's probably the so lanterns is an interesting story that uh, we didn't we didn't design that in house. So that was from Randy Hoyt over at Foxtrot. So like part Ah. of the studio's model is we work with partners that co
0: publishing.
1: Yep,
2: right. Exactly. Um, Because we can't do everything and expands our bandwidth and allows us to have a, a, a bigger footprint as far as what we can draw from. And and Randy, I didn't know him at the time. Uh, and he worked with a designer in Canada, Chris Chung, and it was his very first game.
0: What? Yep.
2: Wow. It's they, a
0: brilliant game, Yeah. Tile Lang as well.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. And they had put it on Kickstarter, and I saw it right after the Kickstarter ended, like the day after I had missed it. And I watched the video, and I looked at it, and I was like, ah, oh, I, <laughs> I, <want. laughs> yep. I wish I would've seen this game. I, I totally would've published it. And then I went to BGCon, and I asked Randy, I was like, hey man, what's your plan after Kickstarter? Because
0: And he was like, I don't know.
2: You know, like, and I said to him, here's my my impression is games go to Kickstarter and they do okay. um, And then there's no plan afterwards and you wind up printing 500 extra copies. And then a year later, you have 490 extra copies in your garage. And now it's Christmas (laughs) presents for everybody for the rest of your life. And he goes, well, it's funny. You should mention that. I did another game uh, a year ago called Relic Expedition, and I have 500 copies sitting in my garage. (laughs) I said, well, I think we can help each other out so then yeah we we made a deal to co-publish and from there that point forward we co-publish oh, all cool. Foxtrot's games yeah
0: amazing because looking at the list of everything Renegade has put out in five just five years which is crazy that's such a short amount of time and you have so many games but it is we're giving away your secret right here yeah. it's co-publishing
2: you uh, just... part of it I mean and then we, we design a fair amount in in-house as well uh, but You know, like what you were saying, as far as our family of games in my head, I kind of picture our catalog like everybody's like here's we've all been to Disneyland or Disney World, right? Sure, sure. (laughs) So so I picture our catalog in my head like the Disneyland map.
0: Yeah, well, I flipped through it recently, in one of the mini games that you stuffed down my throat.
2: <laughs> what so
0: many renegade games sitting
2: at home now? <laughs> oh, you got the box? Did did we send you just like hey, everything? Here's the box. Like send no, back because a... I
0: declined that. I'm like, no, oh. I want this one, and I want this one. Oh, okay, <laughs> and then Good I will take you. all the small boxes home from GenCon. Oh, okay, <laughs> but yeah, uh, sorry, Disneyland.
2: Yeah, so no, just in my head, that's kind of the way I picture the catalog, right? Like, you walk down Main Street and, like, these are the gateway games. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you in. It's and, your introduction to our world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But then if I want to go play RPGs, I'm going to go over to RPG mm-hmm. land or I'm going to go over to, you know, heavy Euro land or, or you know, some of this other stuff that we're working on for yeah. the future. So mm-hmm. Secrets. Yeah.
1: So so then what does, like, an independent game maker who, like, who is in that situation that the Kickstarter guy was in the, like, mm-hmm. How do they what? How do they approach you for an opportunity? I guess oh, you're
0: gonna get a flood of emails. Well, I mean, yeah. We do have game
1: designers who are listening to this kind of stuff, and it doesn't necessarily that they would come to you. How would they approach any company? I guess? But right yeah. so. you
0: should go to Scott first if it's a really good
1: game. <laughs> if it's really a really good game, bring <laughs> Scott.
2: So, um, you know, for the most part, it is just doing pitches. I've I haven't done this the last couple of years, but uh, about three four years ago, I would go to Gen Con and ahead of time, I would put out my schedule and say. Um, I have all these thirty-minute slots available, and I would sit and do and listen to pitches every thirty minutes for four days straight. Wow! But now you got a guy for and, that. Uh, <laughs> I saw yeah, it. Yeah, Dan, Dan does some too, but um, but as as we've kind of built relationships with designers, and we tend to work with the same designers more than once, um, because once you develop that nice working relationship, yeah. it's it it just shortens the 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 window, right, of of having to even go through that pitch. And it's, it's interesting now, a lot of the stuff that we have coming up in the next couple of years, we've reversed pitched. It's me going to a designer that we've worked with and saying, I have an idea for we should do a game that's like this, that has these qualities to it, that, that that brings out this sort of player experience, that plays in this amount of time, that does this thing. Um, do you want to take that on and see what you can come up with? So, I'll that's cool. You know, I just yeah. talked
0: about a game I know you did this for yeah. last episode in uh, my unabashed, unsponsored, <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by Renegade episode of Gen Con reviews. Um, and Gates of Delirium that's was right. this way oh, right? Oh, really? Yeah. It's Jordan and Mandy who made Lotus, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. gateway game. Yeah. Um, but actually just gorgeous you're building flowers i mean come on
1: right and you
0: wanted to make it um psychotic yeah
2: yeah that's pretty much it i i I liked the card mechanic as far as building the flowers and everything and then Mm -hmm. we had some ideas to do some other stuff so i went and pitched jordan and mandy on what eventually became gates of delirium and they ran with it and they did a great job and, and and definitely put their own twist on everything but yeah that's a perfect example of they didn't come to us with that like we said, hey, we want to do something with this and and see if we can go in a different direction with it and, and make it psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Scott, make it we have
0: so many more questions about Renegade Game Studios and your history and how you come up with these what if questions to develop a game and reverse pitch it. But first, a short break. Welcome back. We're here with Scott Gata of Renegade Game Studios and Citizen of the World.
2: <laughs> Citizen of the World? Yeah. Oh, that's very nice.
0: Mastermind, obviously, oh. we've already mentioned. Uh, okay, Can so- Can I have
1: a volcano lair at some point?
0: I imagine you do. Don't you live between two mountains already? Ensuring
1: that's a nightmare, though. Yeah, I live
2: in- Oh, that's true. I live in San Diego, and so- That's not a, many earthquake
0: lair. that's such it's
1: a true. pleasant- place to live is it not it is it's awesome like every time I go down there there's a lot of like calm in a city that's still very active Mm -hmm. it's so it's so perplexing
0: beautiful rolling hills lots of palm trees no horrible don't move there (laughs) 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 stay out of Scott City all right I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't. I just want to hear you talk. Uh, so you're not particularly a game studio that focuses on Kickstarter games, as many studios tend to be these days. Right. Why is that?
2: Um, well, when we started, we most people use Kickstarter for funding, and we didn't really need it for funding. Um, so we've just, and also it's a lot of work, right? And it, and it takes a ton of time out of your schedule, where we could just make the game and and, and release it and get it out onto the market and, and market it. And, right, my background was marketing, so I didn't feel like we needed that, that we could do a good job marketing the games, you know, not using Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, one of the weaknesses of not using Kickstarter is that we don't have a direct, co- a direct relationship with all of our customers, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a company that only uses Kickstarter knows exactly who all their core early adopter customers are. And we don't. Um, so we've run some and generally when it's us entering into a new category so when we did our first RPG with Overlight we ran a Kickstarter because we wanted to form a connection with role players mm. that normally wouldn't wouldn't think of us as a role playing company mm-hmm. smart yeah so, it's almost
0: like you've done this for a long time, <laughs> this marketing thing. Maybe. I mean, you know, it's, it's a
2: little trial and error, too. So
0: Well, and also it seems Kickstarter, a main benefit is it's essentially counting how many copies you need to print and then some on top of that so you don't have 490 sitting in your garage. Right. Uh, so, but that hasn't been an issue because you just sort of like, how how, what are other ways in which, you have saturated the industry without that tool as one of your main go-tos.
2: So, I mean, part of it is forecasting, Um, you know, and again, like just being able to forecast and have a good feel for how many you should print, staying on top of the velocity of your sales as, as, as it's happening um, and then getting a reprint going, right? Like you can print way too many and go, I think I'm going to sell 20,000 copies of that game. And that can be a pretty expensive mistake, right? If it goes wrong you know, you start out with a 5,000 copies, which is still a pretty healthy print run in our industry. Um, but so Lanterns was a good example, right? We started off and Lanterns, we sold out in the first seven days. Like we were done <laughs> wow. because we did a we did a really good job of pre-marketing that. So the, the Kickstarter was pretty modest, but it, that gave us a nice, you know, core early adopter base. But then I went around and I teased it with all like the the biggest stores in the country and got to meet with them and show them the game. And we actually ran this promotion. We picked the 10 top stores in the country and we offered them each. If they would take 50 copies of the game, the condition was that they had to put it on a feature table, showing the game and be able to sell it or demo it or speak intelligently to it for six weeks.
1: Well, good
2: deal. And we would take, and we would take any copies that they didn't sell back. At the end. Whoa. And what we wanted, though, is if they were successful with it, we wanted them to share that success and let other retailers know. And all but one store sold out of their 50 copies within six weeks. Some of them sold out
1: within a couple weeks. And then we sold out in the industry like we were done. So that's kind of actually... A bad thing, right? I mean, not if it's a good outcome, but like you didn't prepare enough for like, right. Yeah. That's so interesting. But we're pretty aggressive with reprint.
2: So we didn't wait to pull the trigger on a reprint until we were out. We saw the velocity and the the buzz that it was getting. And we started a reprint about 30 days before the first printing even released. So that gave us, you know, a window where we were really, we as the publisher were really only out of stock for about four to six weeks. And, that, and there were still games out in the channel. Yeah, right? you Us can being, still
0: take orders at that point. Right. Do you think being a former game store owner gave you this trick up your sleeve of, no, I'm going to go directly to store owners because I know the infa- impact they have on their client base yeah, for sure. of their regulars yep. in a way that maybe other people haven't always like thought to tap into? Yeah,
2: Yeah, definitely. And then I I mean, I grew up as a kid in retail as well. My Family's business was retail, and I also did a lot of purchasing and buying, and kind of grew up in that environment. So, so it, all, all those things have just kind of been ingrained in me. I think from from my my first job working for my family's business, like at you know 13
1: years old,
0: just comes naturally. Yeah.
1: So like you always have to gauge differently, kind of based also on the game, and not just the hype too, right? Like Terror Below is a different printing order than. Uh, lanterns, for instance. Right.
2: Yeah, for sure. Or even, I we find that the heavier the game gets, um, and the right. So heavier games, ha- higher price points. Right. You're gonna sell less. Yes. In general. Yes. Um, you know, something might break out and become a huge hit, but the chances of that happening are smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that audience, right? It's like a triangle. The people that want to play a three-hour or two-hour super heavy Euro game are just. There's just less of them yeah. than people that will play a more accessible gateway level game that you know also only costs twenty or thirty bucks that you can play in thirty minutes. So so you're just going to sell less. So you just have to plan for that. Um, it's also it's a bigger risk, right? Like a sixty dollar game just costs a lot more to produce that there's the reason why it's 60 bucks
0: right and yeah. people are always wanting heavier components with real metal in the box right. or a <laughs> mini in yeah. it and, yeah. and those things all cost money as well for an even smaller audience
2: right and and you have to be careful too because the people that want those those you know kind of blinged out versions of the game they're very very vocal but they don't always translate to 10,000 people yeah it it might be their vocal minority in that way absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it might be hundreds of people and it's and it's a totally valid thing like I am I'm a huge sucker for that stuff like I want that too but so it, you
0: believe that hi, they're like oh you must be everyone <laughs> right yeah, <laughs> because right. you are also me
2: <laughs> right no 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> a,
0: a, a lesser less experienced marketer might
2: might maybe I well I, I think it's easy to get Caught up in it and and swept away and and listen to write that vocal minority on the internet and kind of get into that echo chamber of like oh well they all want this and it's
1: like Ooh, wait yes wait, they all are nine people exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah be careful
0: I yeah. have just a little anecdotal uh, story about this so last weekend went to. Uh, Amir, our friend Amir, threw a little party and he said game day and so I thought games and I was like oh I should have gone home and brought a bunch of boxes. I showed up and there's some Netflix show called Minute to Win It and it's like Putting a ping pong ball on a spoon using only your teeth and dropping it on the other side of a table and like silly games that are all dexterity based right. and n- no board, no nothing to buy except ping pong balls and you know skittles and a straw that you have to like suck the skittles through.
2: Pic- picnic games,
1: right? Yeah, play basically it like the family yeah. picnic. yard games. And yard yeah, games yeah. yeah, there
0: were teams and there was a score and there yeah. was a gift card given out. And,
1: and you brought ex libris and <laughs> tried to set it up Luckily, on the table. Luckily, I was coming buy. from
0: somewhere else, but I was like, should I go home and bring? 12 games. Um. Nice. What kind, of, what kind of gamer am I if I bring no games <sighs> right. to this game day? Um, but it worked out. And then at the end of the day, you know, gift card had been assigned and I was like, ooh, we could play Contact. It's a fun word game where it's kind of like a mind meld type thing. We talked about medium last mm-hmm. episode. Um, and you're, you're just, uh, you're spelling out a word and giving one letter at a time and people have to get one more letter by asking questions um, and the answer to the question has to, to start with a letter I won't go into exactly how to you know it's a fun word game yeah. and somebody was like Okay, let's not play something super complicated. <laughs> yep. I was like, what? But this is the easiest game I could think of. They were like, let's play this game where we count to 12, and if you say the number 12, you have to drink. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's also not like, the
1: end of the day oh, okay. game, too. Well, you it's, know, so yeah. I will say that game, I that's one of my favorite games to play, one of like, my favorite parlor games, and I taught it to my in-laws. Parlor game,
0: thank you. And
1: my in-laws... Insist on playing it every time. It's right. excellent. It right. But it is harder to explain than it is to play.
0: I did a much better job then than I did now. People that knew we did examples. That's right. <laughs> I, I always struggle
1: to explain it because it is like a whole concept to get, and then it's like just play and you'll figure it out. Yeah. It definitely is one of those. So, so I have a question for you. Uh-oh.
2: There was a there was a gift card at stake. How competitive did Becca
1: get? Because Oh, oh probably very competitive. <sighs> yeah. Like were you.
0: Absolutely, I was at my most competitive.
1: <laughs> Elbowing down but small children. I,
0: my team, me and Amir, uh, whose party it was, and he was help setting up all these games. We were second to last. It was a sad day. Oh,
1: my God. Yeah, what? it was hard. Was oh, it um, two people teams?
0: I know. It, yeah, it was two people teams. I showed up late. Did play. you get like a red card
2: or something and ejected? <laughs> no, I did miss game one, and oh. then they
0: let me make it up later, Okay. and I did not beat anyone, because it was just like stupid human tricks kind of games. Game one that I missed and had to make up, you put an Oreo on your eye, and you have the third and one minute to get it into your mouth without using your hands.
1: <laughs> this, Are you is letting... a great this is idea. something
0: I desperately want to be good at, and I tried and tried and like practiced even after my timer had gone. Actually, up.
1: can we pitch this game to you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This okay, Oreo
0: game. It's
1: called Okay. Oreos. <laughs> okay. It's
0: called Renegadios. Oreo Eye. Renegadios. No, you've already made that game. It comes in a cereal box. Yeah. And it's well, just it wasn't a, a game. It was just a T-shirt.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wait. So were you laying down? No. How do you do? How you
0: do you lean keep back. The,
1: or you lean back,
0: and then you just kind of like sh- shake your face a little bit. And you got it.
1: <laughs> if it falls on the ground, do you have to go get it with uh, you that, can get a your new hands? Oreo. Oh, okay.
0: I just I felt bad wasting all these Oreos, so I started using the same ones.
1: I feel like your best bet is to like try and launch it in the air and catch it with your mouth. I tried oh. that. I tried that. Yeah. It
0: sounds sounds solid. Okay, I have a real thing to get back to. <laughs> okay. Um, you got your start in TCGs. I did in living card games and. Now you're going back to card games. We are. You just announced Vampire the Masquerade expandable card game. Boop, boop. Ooh,
2: we did. Yeah.
0: So tell us about that.
2: So, <laughs> so we announced it. It's not coming out for a year. So it'll, there's
0: nothing else to say.
2: Uh, no, nothing to say. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to be really good, I think. No. So, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be out at Gen Con, but we've got an engine. It's super solid. It plays two players and up. So if you've... If you're familiar with Vampire, right? Like the world, combat's part of the world, but it's it's not probably the core driver in the world, right? It's more about the maneuvering and and politics. The beast and, within. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. Like we're really really happy. Yeah, with I'm trying real hard to get Parker.
0: embraced right now personally, so yeah. get that going. There
2: you go. On.
1: It'll happen, Becca. Thank
0: yeah, you. It will.
2: It's Chloe. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll we'll have more more to. Sh- to share on it in the pretty near future,
0: right? It's a ways um, out.
2: It's a ways out. Yeah. Do you always
0: announce a year ahead? Not always,
2: <laughs> but we wanted to announce our partnership with with Paradox and White Wolf and let people know that it was coming, because uh, we have some plans to be able to have some early adopters come in and maybe beta test it and and things like that um, after the first of the year. So.
0: So basically, people should be real hyped.
1: Yeah, there, it's it's good. There it's, was it's a vampire game in the old. Days, wasn't yeah. there? It, what was it called? So originally it was called Jihad. Jihad. Yeah. Yeah, jihad. And then
2: they changed the name of it to Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Yes, okay. Yeah. I then,
0: remember wait, this. Now. I just typed Jihad I'm, into Google and oh, it didn't yeah. help. I, no, I never
1: no. I never played a lot of these old CCGs, but I was I was a subscriber <laughs> to uh magazines like Inquest, yep. which had every CCG that was ever printed. Like yep. they'd have pictures of them and I was always fascinated Liner. by these ones. Yeah. I, I sat at the table and, at lunch and Pretended to not look at it. That's right. <laughs> Had it inside
0: of a football magazine. That's right. You're like, how did this get here? <laughs> who,
1: who left this on the table? <laughs> this isn't mine. <laughs> I just don the helmet that's clearly, <laughs> I got a goodwill.
0: Still got a tag on it. That's
1: right. Uh yeah, I just remember all those, yep. and it's so fascinating. So they used that was, but that was a short print. Like that, that uh, game didn't last for a long time, no, did no, it?
2: Yeah, uh, it was around for for a while. I think, and it it changed hands. Like it was at Wizards of the Coast, and then it moved around for a little bit. I think it's still being somebody has the license right now to still print it in i think non-collectible like reprint the old cards really? i'm not yeah i'm not totally familiar with what's going on but it was it was a really good game i played it um it was a little long yeah. right like and it it's definitely a product for its time of its time but yeah. it's it's a really solid game um what we're doing now is i would say True to that experience. Yeah, what can
1: you tell us about um, it? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: not not too much more. So it's like I said, it's two players and up. Definitely, the multiplayer experience is is a core part of the game. Uh, but you can play two players, which in the old game you really couldn't play just two players. Oh, uh, really? It, yeah, you had, you to, had play to play multiplayer the clans and stuff. Yeah, well, you just had you just needed mul- more than two people, and and it really was probably best at four. Oh, up. yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it was a long game. Like you would play for two hours plus. Okay. Um yeah, I'm really happy with this. And it scales nicely. We'll be able to bring in other things down the road, you know. So we're starting mm-hmm. with vampire, but hopefully there'll be go. some opportunities. There's a very large world of darkness out there.
0: Oh, but hold on. You told me that when you make a game with an IP, mm. you start with the IP. We do. And go from there. We do. You tell me this engine's gonna be implemented. I guess it's all world of darkness.
2: It is. We might actually be taking other things. We might be planning for the future. So that way. Uh-huh. Expanding yeah. the darkness. So th- that's another trap that, that a lot of. Uh, a Podcasters
0: lot of... put you in when they ask you. Questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, yes, I'm very offended. I'm storming out. So, No, uh, the designers, uh, a lot of times, like, especially in a serialized type of game, like a collectible card game or, an ex- you know, anything that's expandable. It's hard to plan for the future. So you do sometimes want to take a step back from, from your design and your plan and say, what is this game going to look like in year three? Or what is this world going to look like in year three? What are the things that we might want to do? Are we doing anything now that's going to keep us from doing that and put us in a tough situation where we have to, you know, kind of ham this thing in there or it just won't be possible? So, so we try to take a step back. And say, well, what if we bring in other elements from from that catalog? You know, and it's it's there's I don't want to put it out there and have people go like, Oh, yeah. it's happening. It's it's not, yeah. But it might. And we wanna be prepared for it if it does. Right. So, it all
0: depends if people are clamoring for right. more of this game, then yeah, you, get exactly. you have a plan. Right. Yeah.
2: So we have things that we want to do. We'll what see I'm if we getting, get to do them all.
0: What I'm getting is a theme of what you do, Scott, is what your contribution to creating your own game studio and, and you you are the master planner. You are the mastermind. I was I right. Guess. That you are the one that is able to step back and say, what what is a hole in the industry that Renegade can fill.
2: Yeah. I I, I play devil's advocate a lot, like within the company. Like I'll Um, sometimes I think drive people a little crazy because I'll come in and say like, hey, what if we did this? And I'm the first one to admit that I'm going to throw out tons of what ifs and they're not always good. But but the point is I want us to think through it and see if we can come up with something that's different or good. That Um, kind of
0: reminds me of what Rob Davio said when he came up with the idea for a legacy game of writing down on a whiteboard any possibility. You know, in a brainstorming session, there are no wrong answers. And so- that, that's the spaghetti that you're throwing at walls. Yeah. 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 It seems to have stuck. And speaking of sticking, um, another really, really popular renegade game in your five,
1: <laughs> Good five years yeah. is a really
0: uh, spaghetti ish transition. Um, <laughs> Clank. We haven't talked about
2: Clank. Yeah. Clank is huge. Yep. So are cl- there Clank stories? How did it come about? How'd you find it? So c- there is a Clank story. So Clank comes from our partners at Direwolf Digital. And I have a long history of working with them before they were even Direwolf, the owner and a lot of the people there uh, were our partners back in my decipher days on our Lord of the Rings online trading card game. Mm. And now there's a lot of people working there that are former decipher designers. As well, so it's a big company, but there's there's definitely some of that old guard there,
0: and they are digital first, yes.
2: They are, yeah, they're a digital studio, so they they primarily focus on their core competency. You know, back in the day, was digital TCGs. Like they were really the other company doing digital TCGs after Magic launched Magic Online yeah. um, back, you know, in the nineties. So so how'd they
0: make such a perfect tabletop game? I (laughs) mean,
2: they're they're game designers. Right. And ironically, I was I was going out and spending a little bit of time with them uh, talking about one of their digital projects. And we would play tabletop games that they had designed that. I don't know if they had like really any plan for it. They all love tabletop games and we would play games and we talked about like, well, we should put some of these out. And there was one game in particular that we played that I really liked. I thought it was it was fun. And it had a lot of potential. And then it call,
0: called There is a Dragon Underground and no, you must no, it steal wasn't. its stuff. <laughs> it's not what
2: turned out to be Clank. <laughs> it's something else. And you haven't seen it yet. Ooh. So and I don't know, maybe, maybe you will someday. But uh then, you know, six months or so passed and uh Scott Martins over there called me up and he's like, Hey, let's 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 move on this. Let's let's make a board game together. And he said, We're gonna send you a prototype. Uh, check it out and let us know what you think. And I thought it was going to be this other game and it wasn't, it was what turned out to be Clank and it was pretty funny, right? It was your typical prototype. Like the map was drawn out on a piece of white, like almost like butcher paper uh, by hand. And the cards were, you know, just uh, proxy cards put in sleeves and stuff. And I was about to go out of town to some convention and, and I wanted to check it out, so I set it up on the table, and I had nobody to play with. So I played a four-player game all by myself, <laughs> and it took like three hours, right? But I, I wanted yeah. to just, I just wanted to knock it out before I had to get on a plane the next day. But just like in Deck middle holding... school, no one bothered you. No, nobody bothered me. Uh, I was the weird kid playing games with himself. So uh, yeah, played a four-player game with myself, literally moving around the table. Who you won? know. And it's a deck builder, so it's it's easy you know, to get into if you've played a deck Evil builder. Scott. Evil Scott. <laughs> Evil Scott 1. That's, 1, that's right. Cool. Yeah. It's
0: yeah. also Angelic Scott, Mischievous Scott, and... Uh-huh. Neutral Scott? Neutral Scott. Neutral <laughs> Scott.
2: That's right. Um, yeah. And we really liked it, and it was great, and we put it out, and... We
0: being all four Scots. <laughs> all four Scots.
2: Well, ironically, the owner over at Direwolf is also Scott. Right. Uh-huh. So, all five Scots. <laughs> all five Scots, yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. And it's done really well, and now the next thing coming up is Legacy. Really, Clank Legacy? Yeah, Yeah. that's a great Mm -hmm. idea. We unboxed it. Who's working on it? Uh, Right. So the Direwolf team did it. Uh, It is premiering at PAX West. We're going to have. Dare you put
0: Legacy on a game without Rob's name somewhere? I know.
2: (laughs) Poor Rob. Uh, He started.
0: Well, (laughs) yeah, he's really struggling. I I know. I
2: know. (laughs) Someday, maybe he'll make it. I think (laughs) he was the the...
0: most listed person at Gen Con this year on all kinds of banners. For
2: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it'll be at PAX West. And we'll have a small amount of it there early, we hope, if it makes it. It's being flown in, especially for PAX West. Wow. So, yeah, you'll be able to check it out there. And then in about a month or so later, it'll be out in stores. Right on. Yeah. I think we can get you a copy, Becca. (gasps) Me? Yeah, but I... I,
0: Oh, my gosh. PAX West is coming up August 30th to September 2nd. Yeah. 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 And you're going to be there?
2: I personally probably will not.
0: Oh, you get one off. Yeah. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) That's right. Uh... Total segue, what's it like going to all these cons all this time, you know, being, going from having no booth five years ago to having the most epic booth at Gen Con that I already talked about (laughs) last year because uh, I think we're sponsoring Renegade.
2: Oh, that's awesome. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. It's great. We'll put a sign out front. Yeah, <laughs> just a little all slip right. in all your games would be great. Okay. We have some yeah. postcards to give. Oh, you. we could do that for yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, but what what is it like seeing this thing that you created become so big so quickly?
2: Uh, I mean, it's it's fun, right? Like it's it's very satisfying. The whole team puts in a, a lot of work. Um, I you know, I I push a lot. So, good. but, but the, everybody rises to the occasion. Like Gen Con's a good example. We were, we'd, we've outgrown our booth space, but booth space at Gen Con is at a premium and we really couldn't get any more floor space really in the now. in the hall. And they had offered us an event room and I said, well, I mean, an event room would be fine, but if we do it, like I want to be able to, you know, skin the front entrance way and make it an experience and everything else. And as long as we're allowed to do that, then we'll give it a try, and so that's what we did this year, right? We did. I think we did, it worked really well, and yeah. on,
0: I I did talk about the skin of the room. Okay. And there's a picture on the Renegade Facebook page if people want to check out what I keep talking about.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. So. Yeah. Well, we're gonna look to do more of that down the road. Hopefully, we have some plans next year. Hmm. I'll just say Vampire premieres at Gen Con.
0: Who knows okay. what that means? What we'll do. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: I've n- heard nothing.
1: <laughs> You've heard some things.
0: <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Uh, Jake? Becca. What? You, did you ask all your questions? <laughs> I didn't.
1: I have so many. Okay. But I'm always, I mean, I'm curious, like, where do I go on this? Because there's so many questions I have about, like, game design and about how you choose what's great. Like, I know we've already talked about, like, you want something that's fun. You want something that's got an interesting mechanic to it. Yeah. But, like, what uh, what are you looking for when people are going to pitch you stuff? Something new? Yeah, I mean, for sure.
2: Like, we want something. It can it, it can feel like there's a hole in the market, right? Nobody Nobody's doing this Mm -hmm. well, or nobody's doing that. People want more of this and there's not more of this. Mm So we're looking for more of that. That's that's different. But yeah, I mean, first and foremost, something that's really different that we haven't seen before is exciting. So Clip Cut Parks. Right. Yeah. I uh, wanted to
0: talk about this last episode, but I already talked about ten different renegade Okay. Gates. <laughs> so,
2: so, so this is a this is a really good example. It's it's um right. Rolling rights are big. Everybody's in rolling rights. It's it's kind of the new the new thing right now. There's a wave of them coming out. And then last year in Essen, uh, these two designers pitched us not a rolling right, but it is it's it definitely is inspired by rolling rights, where you get a sheet of paper and you cut with scissors out based on the die roll so many squares right like kind of tetris sort of shapes and then you have to complete puzzles on the table <laughs> and we're like whoa this is really different it's it's kind of a roll and write but it's not and we were you know like what do we call this like a, a cut in place cut or and write. cut and write cut
0: no oh, yeah. yeah there is no write. writing
2: right you don't write but it but it has that thing right you rip off a, a sheet of paper on your pad and, and then you come you cut you know space uh, yeah. stuff out and all that so that was really, really different. We fast track that. We're like, okay, nobody's done anything like this. We're going to get this you out. You got to be the first. Yep. As fast as we can. Yeah. Is
0: being the first, obviously a, a huge, when you hit on something that yeah. is not done yet. Yeah. Yeah. You got to sure. get it out. I I was very surprised. I liked this because <laughs> Roland writes, I know they're popular, mm-hmm. but there's not enough player interaction for me typically. Right. Uh, <laughs> roll. <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, it is kind of um, and, it is kind of like independent. But I mean. we
0: played it, and I had the best time really strategizing about what cuts to make because right. you have to if you you roll the die and it says one, two, three, you have to make a one square long cut, a two square long cut, and a three square long cut, and you can't make anything else except those three cuts, and you can't turn in the middle of the length of a three cut right. square long cut, and that. There is so much planning you can do, and the most satisfying thing, because the cards that you're filling out are Tetris-like pieces, but a little more uh, edges and shapes in there. Right. And I got one that was exactly the full shape of the park in one cut (laughs) Wow. with all of the animal parks Uh and the colors included. And it was the most satisfying feeling. She's yep.
1: nearing tears, you guys. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> That's right. I made a park. <laughs> uh, but I, I was surprised that I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, you know, when you can have that level of strategy, even though it is a game that you could mm-hmm. essentially play, you are playing solo alongside other people.
2: Right. And that that was the experience we had too. Like we we played it, right? Played the prototype in Essen. Dan Bojanowski discovered the game. He He's the one that took the pitch meeting. And you know, he came back and he's like, I think this is kind of special. And you know, when you play it, sometimes you everything gets that uh, that discount. The first time you play something, it's 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 it was the first
1: time. It's the first time. Gotta try it a
2: little different. Right. And we were like, We need to play this a little bit more and see. And we're like, huh, it's it still feels really different and cool. Yeah. So yeah. What, what did it,
0: the prototype did they have a rip pad?
2: Uh, they had sheets. Yeah, okay. they had sheets of paper that you know that they had. Uh, originally, it was themed around uh, building construction, so you're making buildings, and we just we slightly changed it. Does to the Sure, there's lots of parts. games about building. Yeah. Does the Does
1: it come with scissors? It does. It comes with. <laughs> it comes with safety scissors. Four pairs of safety scissors with awesome.
0: colors. Uh-huh. On the handles, mm-hmm. very clever. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, what happens if you're developing a game that's a little bit more traditional, and it does you're realizing maybe during play testing that it does kind of lack something new? Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll
2: try to pull back, right? Okay. And and spend more time on it. Looking you know, we we dynamics? have schedules, but so this is always the tug of war within any company. So we have Leisha, who is our logistics director and she's in charge of all the schedules and manufacturing and leisha is perfect for that because (laughs) she is your due date is on tuesday sure and i'm usually the one kind of in the middle of both sides occasionally i'm the yeah your due date's on tuesday you need to hit it other times i'm the back off leisha (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna push this off Mm -hmm. or we've we've delayed games a year that we felt like we needed to spend more time on and, and sometimes tear them down and 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 rebuild. Do you have
1: an example you can share with us of that? Was uh, there one that was kind of rebuilt from the ground up?
2: I mean, it's hard to say. So so Terra Below actually went through a lot of development. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Terra Below originally the way Mike had designed it was about meteors falling from the sky.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. So, it had nothing to do so, with the thing it has nothing to do with, but maybe slightly reminiscent yeah. of uh, no. a, a little old movie called Tremors. If yeah, you know anything it about it, there was definitely
1: some, some some inspiration there. I can uh, see yeah. the meteor thing for sure because that yeah. came down on a spot and then the blast radius. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. very fascinating. So,
2: thematically, it changed, but mechanically, it went through a lot of iteration. You know, there's a little bit of take that in that game, which really mm-hmm. makes that game fun. Like you want to you're all competing for the bounties. Yeah. So you need to be able to mess Make with each other. Make a
0: worm attack somebody by right. making the ground shake all around them. Right.
2: Yeah. So it's it's really fun. But you have to balance that because too much of that then becomes a negative. So that's where the, like, the multiple uh, the multiple heroes that you get. So you get some variety. So when a character dies, it's a life dying. But it's also not. So it doesn't feel so bad because now I get something else that's different. Mm-hmm. I get to play a different character that has different different abilities. So that feels good. Mm-hmm. So I've had I've seen uh, comments online where people are like, man, I got such and such as a character and they just weren't dying. I wanted them to die because I wanted to play some <laughs> of my other characters. Um, but that's also a negative
1: because you're losing a life. And, yeah, it was and three you lives, have to reset yeah. where you are and like, yeah. Yep. interesting so it's a that, surprising so a mix
0: of mechanics that I haven't seen put together in that yep. way that yep. it, it works really really well yeah I, I Mike came up with a
2: great though. engine and then TC Petty was our developer on that and he did a lot of work and really did a great job so the two of those guys together so if came I can ask what
1: wasn't working during development
2: um no I think it was really just that we wanted to turn it on its head okay and that sort of thing and we just needed yeah we just needed more time yeah um and we were like well we just want to get this right so it you know, it's its schedule was kind of loose. And is
1: that where like manipulating the worms movement with the vehicles came into play? It was like where where you could actually control where the meteors would land or yeah, a lot of that stuff
2: changed. Yeah. Um and then and then back to my earlier point, I I kind of started off just joking about this is that if this one did well that we wanted to maybe do more in the future. So the the kind of the running joke internally was that the next game will be Terror Above. <laughs> um And then we have we have an idea for a third one, and then we we discuss this with sideways, maybe maybe somewhere else. Terror on
0: the left, terror on the
2: right, terror behind you, terror all around. Um, Yeah, so so Mike Mike just sent me an email the other day. He was it was funny. He's like, yeah, terror terror from above. Uh, I'll work on it, and I'll have something for you by next week. (laughs) And ironically, he sent me an email yesterday. He's like, all right, I've got a draft. Whoa. So yeah. Yeah. So we're we're working on maybe twenty twenty one.
1: Ooh, secrets. You
0: heard it here first. First, yeah. Terror from above. Yeah. (laughs) It's in the works. (laughs) I picture a pterodactyl swooping down and eating people alive.
1: I hope it's just worms dropping from the sky.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, we've been talking on this podcast for a while, so we should probably wrap it up. But Scott, I just want to ask. Games seem to be a big, big part of your life. What about them brings you joy?
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I'd say right now, um, outside of me just personally playing a game, is seeing other people play stuff that the team has spent all this time on and seeing it get out there and people enjoying it, right? Like, we get a lot of joy from our customers playing our games and loving them. I mean, it's really gratifying. And it's it's also really cool too, to see the designers and artists that put so much of themselves in the game have success as well. Like we really do want our our creative partners to, to have that success. And, you know, they do. They A lot of designers and artists in our industry don't do this full-time. Um, some of them eventually do get there, but a lot of them start off part-time and this is their dream to do this for a living so if we can have success and they have success like it's it's good for everybody so it's pretty cool
0: quit their jobs at google
2: that's right (laughs) (laughs) that's the plan
1: someday
0: (laughs) (laughs) jake what brings you joy about games
1: oh man i have been really loving the amount of social interaction i get with people that i don't get to see very often because like i can I can have this event that also brings people together. Um, one of my buddies, Ruel, invited. are we Ruell's who's a guest on this podcast. He was one oh. of the first. Yeah, um, invited me to a game of Twilight Imperium, which I have not played in like six months, and.
0: Ugh. Don't say that. That means I haven't played <laughs> I in more than six you, you're months. you getting
1: the withdrawals. I see the shakes. Um, <laughs> but it was good to meet some new people. I played. Well, usually I play Twilight Imperium with people I know because I'm the organizer. So I'm inviting all of my friends. Right. And Now, I didn't know hardly anybody there. And it was so great to meet new people. It was at a game event. They called it Jed Cant because they couldn't oh, yeah. make it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. And I met a lot of great people and it was super fun. And I just, I forget to go do that sometimes. And board games are a great ambassador to meet yeah. new people.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, visit your friendly local game shop and uh, go to your board game cafes so you can meet new people. Uh, and- Becca,
1: what yeah. brings you joy yeah. about board yeah. games?
0: Fucking everything, man. <laughs> it's my life. That's the T-shirt. You know? That's the T-shirt. What brings me joy about games is when I get to play them off camera.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's true. No,
0: and And on camera, too. But, you know, it's a... It's a refreshing. It's refreshing whenever Does I not get time to perform the at time all, time to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Not have to For be sure. on. Yeah. yeah, as as fun That's as it fair. is that I get to do this all the time. Sure, when I get to uh, just play a game and not also entertain, it's like max level. The bam. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, that seems like a perfect place to end. But first, what's one thing that has absolutely nothing to do with gaming that you love?
2: <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with gaming that I love. Uh, so I do spend a lot of time camping and backpacking.
0: Oh, right. You were telling me. Yeah. Why, probably why is one, it?
2: Probably on average, like once a month. I'm off somewhere on a weekend uh, doing something. So yeah. I, I've been doing it with my sons for a long time. And my youngest now is uh, he'll be 13 next month. So and he's just gotten into backpacking stuff. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be backpacking the next three months, one weekend a month.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. And, and something oh, I saw you yesterday and you told me that a great perk of that is that no cell phone reception. Yeah,
2: it's true. Like not having the cell phone reception is is a almost like a gift to me because yeah. I can yeah. say, nope, no reception. I can't check in and it forces me to disconnect for a while. But I think that also is better than when I come back, have that short little break, you know, of a weekend. I'm disconnected because I'm working all the time. Right. Like we're in Slack and it's just never. Yeah, stops. you can't turn yeah. it off. Right, okay. but but having that forced
1: turn off is really good. The literal quiet and the figurative quiet of being out in the wilderness, right? Because you get yes. the, you, don't, you get the city sounds gone, but you also get the interactions with everybody gone. The notifications yep. are gone.
0: Jake, you also are a big hiker in beautiful places. I see, yeah. your, I see your Instagram yeah, story. Yeah, for
1: sure. I like to get out of Wi-Fi reception once in a while as well. The it's irony nice.
0: that you take videos on your phone and then post them. Later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on
1: my phone the whole time. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: All
0: right. Well, you folks at home, please remember that you need to disconnect every once in a while. Stop listening to this podcast and go stare at a tree.
1: But before right. you do, make sure you like Subscribe.
0: Rate us. Give us five stars. Five stars on iTunes. That's what we need. There's, there's we not any other options, no right? Yeah. 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 I mean, don't even bother if you're not going to do five stars. No. Come on. No, no you can't. But, but mm-hmm. Rate us, honestly. If you
1: click any of the lesser stars, I think that shuts down your hard drive. Yeah, I think so I've, just, yeah.
0: I've implanted a bug that you're going to get a terror from
2: above. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and below. Seriously, I'm coming for you. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.